Amen. Good morning. Uh, for those of you here and those of you at home, welcome to Liminal. Uh, I'm Brian. I'm pleased to be uh, now giving the third week uh, of our Advent uh, series entitled The Complexity of Hope. Uh, two weeks ago, April Lynn stood up here and uh, talk, spoke about culture, the political landscape, uh, highlighting Zachariah, Elizabeth, and Mary. Uh, she shared how God works through unexpected people to turn everything upside down. Uh, last week, Catherine spoke about Joseph and how in his story, Joseph chose a, a, a huge thing, a, a, a very cultural thing. He chose to put aside his standing in his community to honor his betrothed. Um, and he reveals a facet of what it really means to be holy. Before uh, we move forward, uh, I'd like to just take a moment to highlight uh, a couple of books. Um, uh, okay, I'm going to try to do this. Kelly Nikondia is the writer of First Advent in Palestine, and oft quoted, actually, in her book is this book, The Liberation of Christmas. Uh, he's a professor, uh, Richard A. Horsley. Uh, so I encourage you, they definitely informed me and what I've put together today and what the team's been uh, working through this last three weeks. So I encourage you, if you get a chance, read them. Uh, this is, uh, Kelly's book is on Kindle, so if you've got a Kindle, it's really easy. You push a button, they take your money. Uh, and you get to read a book and keep it and copy and paste and do all this great stuff. Richard's book's not on Kindle. You've got to buy it, but it's worth it. Uh, our third installment this morning is entitled Fear Not. Right? Uh, we're going to talk about something, uh, I think we said in the, the blurb that went out to everybody, that fear, uh, that everybody's fears, politics, money, and power, right? The, the three things that make for a really bad, like, Thanksgiving meal uh, and when it comes to conversation. Um, but they're at play in the time of Jesus and certainly in play in our time now. Uh, my hope is in, in, in the next half hour or so, uh, we're brought to a place of greater understanding of that which is often hidden or invisible. Of course, uh, today, the setting is Bethlehem. I, I say, of course, because, well, for one thing, we're getting blasted with that constantly these days, right? I mean, it, it starts early and goes late. Halloween to New, New Year's, we're talking about Bethlehem. We're talking about Christmas, I'll get to that again in a minute. But I say, of course, it's our setting because that's where Jesus was born a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, so here's a few. Yeah, Alabama, Arkansas, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Marshall County, Missouri, Mississippi, Grafton County, New Hampshire. So it just keeps going. West Virginia, the upper Bethlehem of St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands. These are all the Bethlehems in the United States. For real. In fact, cha a challenge. This is not a complete list. This is me just going crazy on the interwebs and going, hey, look at that. Uh, if you find any more, let me know because I love the minutia. All right, how about here? Here's uh, in the rest of the world. Bethlehem County, uh, Westmouth, Ireland, uh, St. Elizabeth, Jamaica, Nambia, Rodham in the Netherlands, uh, Taronga in New Zealand, Singapore, Solomon Islands, South Africa, the Free State uh, of South Africa, Bethlehem, Switzerland, uh, 
Carmenshire, Wales, which actually that's easy to say for anything that comes out of Wales. Because if you ever try to read Welsh, it's like Klingon. My apologies to any Welsh people that are watching. Okay, let's move on. All right. So, that's a lot. We're not talking about any of these. None, right? There are, is a very specific and historical reason for why none of these do, right? The event took place in Bethlehem, Palestine. Uh, now, if we were to say that today, that would be Bethlehem, comma, the West Bank, Palestine. So where we sit, when we say those words, given what's going on in the world, that maybe brings a little bit more meaning in the sense of modern uh, news and war. Look, so today I want to focus on a key group of participants that are featured in Luke's narratives, and that is the shepherds. Uh, the shepherds of Bethlehem, Palestine. However, before we go down that road, uh, the aforementioned festival that has become Christmas, it's not just a Christmas celebration, it's a festival, and it just keeps going and going and going. I want to try to take us out of that for a minute. And of course, we're going to read the scriptures as only can be properly read of Luke 1 through 20, and, and that is as Linus read them, and it's Christmas Charlie Brown out of the King James Version. So you'll find the language a little antiquated, but I'll just be honest. I am of that generation. I grew up with that show, and I can't think of Luke 1 through 20 in any other translation. Yeah, if you're a fan of the show, you know what I'm talking about. So I want to take us out of it and kind of refocus. Anywhere in the world, there are ranging herds, specifically sheep, there are people keeping watch. A job that did not start or end with the birth of Jesus. A job that began long before his arrival on this earth and continues to this day. It's largely an occupation that is unchanged. Sure, there's some mechanization that goes with it now. You know, you'll see the Basque herders in Bakersfield. You know, they got a nice trailer. They still have dogs. They still keep watch. It continues to this day. So many years ago, uh, and I say many years ago because I was 18 at the time, I was fortunate to spend a full year in the country of New Zealand. You may have noticed that as a, one of the highlighted cities in the world named Bethlehem, there is a Bethlehem, New Zealand. I was an exchange student. I had an opportunity to live, well, pretty much all of New Zealand. It's two islands. It's the size of California, pretty much, uh, per square mile. Uh, their number one, at the time uh, when I landed in New Zealand, uh, their number one export is agriculture. And that holds true today. It's not Hobbit movies. It's, it is still agriculture. They are very much an agriculture-based uh, 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 economy. They have, just to give you some stats, this is almost to the number, there are 5 million people in New Zealand and there are 40 million sheep. There are 5 million people and 40 million sheep. That's a lot of sheep. They have golf courses in New Zealand that nobody mows them. They have electric fences around the greens, and the sheep take care of the rest. When I landed in the country, I thought, this is giant, a giant golf course. 
the North Island. The South Island's a little different. That, that's what's featured in the, in the Lord of the Rings films. So 5 million people, 40 million sheep. They're pretty much everywhere. And everywhere that there are people, there are people caring for them. Farmers is what they call them, but shepherds. A person who tends and rears sheep. That's the definition of a shepherd. Um, so this is uh, from a cartoon called Foot Rot Flats. Uh, the, the dog's name is Dog, uh, and that's ubiquitous. They have dog trials in New Zealand, if you ever want to watch. It's pretty exciting how they, they use their sheep dogs. Uh, and the gentleman there, his name is Wall. It's by a cartoonist named Murray Ball. And I chose this because this is pretty much the way, uh, to, to this day, that the shepherds, the farmers that run sheep in New Zealand look. They wear black shorts, gumboots always, because where I lived, it rained 110 inches a year. Uh, it rains all the time, so you need the gumboots. And they wear like a black singlet. They also wear, which by the way, I noticed there are several uh, here today wearing buffalo plaid, and I appreciate that. If anybody can name what this is, I'll give you a dollar. No, I'll give you five dollars if you can tell me what this is. Anybody? All right. They still wear these to this day when it's... When it's uh, it, what? Anorak. That's close, but it's <clears throat> wrong. It's not incorrect. You do not read win the money. Um, this is called a. This is called a. What's that? A hoodie. It is kind of like a hoodie, except it has like this skirt that comes down that lands right above your gum boots, right? So when it's raining, which is a lot, uh, you wear this thing called a swan dry. And it has a liner on the inside. I had somebody actually doubt that this would keep you dry, and I stood in the front yard as he hit me with a hose, and I came out dry. Because you can, so you'll see these, the, the, the shepherds with these on, you know, cigarette and gumboots and watching the sheep or setting fences or whatever they do. So in order to try to kind of take us into today, in my mind, I thought, what would it be like if... Bethlehem, Taranga was, you know, near the bay, was the setting for Jesus' coming. And with that, what would it be like in the words of a uh, New Zealand shepherd at this event? So if, with your kind uh, attention, I'd, I'd like to present this to you. Uh, I apologize to my Kiwi friends for my accent it's been a few years, and so there may be a little bit of palm mixed in with this. So, here we go. G'day. You'd be wanting to hear about the day, I suppose. Uh, but first, let me tell you a bit about myself. My name's Graham. I'm the son of a shepherd, right? Farmer. Who was the son of a shepherd? Farmer. Who was the son of a shepherd? Farmer. Who, right... You get the idea. <laughs> a long history of tending flocks yeah, and fields. We are the men and women that sit on the outside of things. Yeah? Not only on the outside, our office, as it were, the mountains, the paddocks, that place we toil in order to feed ourselves and our community. Our community. <laughs> That's also something we're a bit on the outside of. We are important, mind you. Make, make no mistake. Eating is important. It's important to all of us, right? 
warm clothing, important. Hard to live without either of those. But I'll say a bit on the outside. I mean, most of our community knows little of what we do, right? I mean, you know, we're outside. And so unless you're a farmer, right, unless you're a shepherd, you don't understand. (laughs) We're always there. Not ones to give much thought to. Nobody's in a manner of fashion. Kind of like you lot, right? In the middle of your country, <laughs> you know, the big cities, you fly over the middle, and you've got no idea what's going on and all that in between. To start, what we do, how we spend our days, is by necessity removed physically from others. Yeah, you can't search for grass and water in the streets of a city or a town. We spend our time mostly removed from these places, often all day and night. Have you ever spent any time with sheep? <laughs> How about sheep dogs? Let's start with the dogs. I've spent most of my time with me dogs, right? More time with them than most people on this earth. They're not much different than the shepherds themselves, right? Stubborn, strong-willed, quarrelsome, vigilant, tireless, independent, brave, f- focused on those that they're there to protect, those in their care. Now, as to the sheep, they are some of the most confounding animals God has ever put on this earth, all right? People say they're stupid. They're not, all right? It's not so. I've seen people keep a single sheep as a pet that would rival any dog (laughs) for intelligence. But put them together in a flock, well, they can do some of the dumbest things you've ever seen, right? Follow the lead, right? Stay with the herd. (laughs) Run toward danger instead of away from it. For example, sheep will band together in the corner of a paddock when it's raining, And they'll stay there because they feel safe together. They'll stay there as the water rises and continues to rise until they drown. Not very bright. That is if no one's looking out for them. That is where we come in. There's a cycle of life to the flock, right? There's life, there's death, and all the things in between. As a shepherd, we experience times of exhaustion and what seems like never-ending labor, never-ending, followed by boredom, sheer boredom. So it's like 99% boredom and 1% terror. (laughs) Keep in watch. That's what we, me and me dogs, that's the other shepherds, that's what we do, right? And that's what we were doing that night. The night. She's right. (laughs) Keeping watch. It was still quiet. The stars. (laughs) You should have seen them. Wow. I love looking at the stars. That night, well, the sky was bigger, clearer. Then all of a sudden, 
there was this flash of light, and there stood an angel. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I said. An angel. <laughs> Huge, commanding. Huh? It was incredibly terrifying. I couldn't speak. I couldn't run. I, I, I could barely look. It was the same for all of us. The angel says, Fear not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's a laugh. <laughs> he tells us that today, in the city of David, our Savior has been born. David was a shepherd. And that his name is Christ the Lord. That we'd find him wrapped in a swaddling clothes and lying in a, a manger. That that was, then there was this whole bunch of angels singing. What a sight. They were singing about glory, peace on earth, and goodwill. It was loud. I remember covering my ears. I was kneeling on the grass. I don't even remember how I got how I got there on my knees. I just was. And it was right. It was the right thing to do. Then suddenly they all disappeared. As suddenly as they'd appeared, they were gone. And it was absolutely silent. Nothing stirred, not me, not me dogs, not the other shepherds, not even the sheep. The stillness felt like it went on and on. And then voices. I could hear shepherds coming from all over, right? We sort of ran together. We'd all seen and heard. To be honest, there was no way you could have missed all that you had heard. If you were a hundred kilometers away, you'd have heard it. Sound carries. We knew we had to all head to Bethlehem to see the child. The angel said he was in a manger. And there's a lot of mangers in Bethlehem. We know everyone. So we moved around. We started looking, going from one to another, asking anyone if they'd seen or come across or heard the news of the newborn king. And then we found him in a feeding trough, that that manger, just like the angel said. His mom and dad had his side, an assortment of animals for attendance. And us. A bunch of shepherds. As unlikely a retinue for a king as you've ever seen or ever will see. We're no royal court. We're a rabble. <laughs> One look at his face, there was no doubt as to who this was. This was the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. No one spoke a word. I'm not even sure how long we stayed. 
we were just in his presence. And as crazy as it sounds, we just started running all around town. <laughs> the, this bunch of shepherds, right? Yelling and carrying on, telling all that we could, all that we could find of what we'd seen and what we'd heard. And we didn't stop until we found ourselves back overlooking the hills of Bethlehem. That was quite a night. <laughs> that Jesus had quite a life. I heard he changed everything. I heard he died and came back to life. But I guess that's the end of the story. One thing I'll never forget, we should never forget, is it all started in a little town with a bunch of nobodies and a baby. That was Graham of Bethlehem near Taronga, Bay of Plenty, New Zealand. I hope that that little bit of detour kind of refocuses us, not just for this half hour, but for every time we come across this. The story just doesn't stay back there. That we don't become over-conditioned to that. It takes our minds off all the celebrating that goes on this time of year, right? This year also feels like there's tension, right? It's higher between uh, the celebrations when you have the kind of troubling events. Ongoing wars, economic difficulties, political discord playing out against our holidays. They're troubling times. Not unlike Palestine, first century, when Jesus was born. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And it went, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So these opening five verses, this is kind of the meta scene of what's going on, not just in Bethlehem, but in Judea and Israel, the entire kingdom, right? Caesar, the savior of the world, has been, uh, uh, has conquered the land but needed to have the money to run it, right? This came by way of taxation, mentioned four times in the opening five verses because money is power alongside military might. Added taxation led to even more economic strife, right? People lived a tough existence back then, kind of like today, right? Simply put, you had to work to produce and survive. The Roman conquest plus taxation made survival even more difficult, which further drove poverty, uh, hunger, you know, we say food insecurity, starvation, death, and alongside that, rebellion. I mean, we know from, uh, you know, 
the historical record that there's a strong chance that when Jesus, you know, broke the bread and passed the loaves and that miracle took place on the shores of Galilee, that there was a consortium of people, you know, probably led from Judas of Galilee to try to get him to lead the revolt against Rome that later led to, you know, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, you know, some 70 years later, right? This was a hotbed of tension, right? The census would bring economic strife to the conquered children of Israel and a long road of travel for Mary and Joseph. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. I'd like to point out that we so far have had five verses to set the scene and two verses uh, to describe the birth of Jesus. And now we get to the shepherds. And there were the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, I love this, sore afraid. I I just love that turn of phrase because it makes me think of, you know, after you go out for a run or a long walk and you're aching, these guys were trembling so hard, probably the next day they're like, "Oh, oh, my neck, right? They were sore afraid. Keeping watch, as was mentioned earlier, right? The shepherds are vigilant, tireless, independent, brave, and focused on those in their care. In exact terms, they keep watch. If you've never worked a night shift, right, if, then you're fortunate. Some would say that you're privileged, right? Night shift is not easy. It's, it's hard on your body. Staying up all night and trying to sleep during the day is not how we are as human beings created, right? We're not designed that way. There's always something that wants to inter- interrupt your sleep, now, whether that's the neighbor tuning up his engines or people driving by or calling or a special thing for your children that you got to go to or a friend, you wind up sacrificing sleep when you work these shifts. Silent Night is a beloved Christmas song with good reason. It's lovely. It is a song after all, and it has its limitations. It doesn't tell the whole story. Night does not necessarily equal peace. There's a modern saying that nothing good happens after 2 a.m., right? It's been said that only cops and crooks are out after 2 a.m. Not altogether true, but we can add paramedics, fire personnel, doctors, nurses, grocery store workers, street cleaners, road repair workers, donut makers, and a long list of other essential workers that are basically hidden from view, unless you need them, right? You like that donut comment, don't you? Now, you're, now that's all you can think about. I'll be done shortly. A footnote. In an Advent in Palestine that makes a good point, uh, we say good day or good morning, Right? In uh, Karindi, the language of the country of Burundi, the translation of what they say to people when they greet each other in the morning is, 
did you survive the night? <laughs> Think about that. Of course, uh, some of you may recognize this. In the Game of Thrones, uh, the books and the subsequent series, uh, we have the constant refrain of the night is dark and full of terrors, right? Just a little side note. Uh, this is a door that's in a was in a hotel. It's a castle, actually, where the cast and crew of Game of Thrones in Ireland stayed uh, when they were filming, and their production team made this door uh, for the hotel. It's kind of cool, anyway. And I put it in here one because it's a cool door, but mostly because it's got that wolf, right? It features a wolf, right? And wolves are predators. And shepherds worry about predators. Um, During the first advent, in the lives of these shepherds, wolves or any predators were not just animals or reptiles, but other humans. Specifically Caesar, his armies, and Herod and his armies, right? Herod was brutally efficient at holding power. You can study him and his family, and that is an absolute true fact. He wanted no competition, brokered no competition. After all, this is the guy who murdered all the boys under the age of two in and around Bethlehem because he was afraid of Jesus. He was trying to find Jesus. That's that's just one of the ways he was, the lengths he would go to to hold power. Thus, this picture here, this is the Herodian fortress, right? It's about three miles from Bethlehem uh, where Jesus was born. It has all kinds of luxury for when Herod would stay there. Uh, It's now just ruins, right? But it used to have, you can see the points, it had four towers. Four towers, it's the tallest mountain in the area, had a commanding view. It sits on the edge of uh, of the wilderness right where shepherds would graze their flocks. And so one can imagine that at the birth of Jesus, at the announcement, these shepherds were out there. And you have to think, now, of course, we don't know this for an imperial fact, but the fact that the taxation had been announced, that there was this giant migration of people to all of their ancestral homes, that this was probably, uh, you would think, a little bit of topic of conversation, and, and, and maybe bitterness and angst and whatever other adjective you want to throw on it, qualifier. And so you also can imagine that these shepherds, with this sitting in their backyard, with these lookouts so they could see trouble coming, and not only could they see, but they could also hear. If you've ever been out at night, like in Ventura, it always amazes me that you can stand like in the middle of the town, and if the waves are up, you're talking, you know, miles in some cases. You can hear those waves hit the deck. And at night, when the city is quiet, you can hear human voices carry for a long way. So you can imagine that these shepherds were whispering to each other, probably talking about the taxation, and maybe making comments about Herod and Caesar. Herod, the shepherds, were considered uneducated outsiders who were, as mentioned before, stubborn, strong-willed, quarrelsome, vigilant, tireless, independent, and brave. Herod would no doubt find them suspect and want to know what they were up to. 
And an angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were going away from them into the heavens, that the shepherds said to one another, let's go and, and now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad, abroad. The saying which was told to them concerning this child and all that heard it wondered at those things which were told to them by the shepherd, but Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Uh Uh-oh. Now, go back. There should be a... No, Kelly's the beginning of the quote. Is it not there? <laughs> okay. Wow. I don't know what happened there. All right, I'll read it to you. So this is a quote. But they make an appearance in the first advent and in every manger scene since... Uh, oh, sorry. The shepherds of the first advent might be akin to migrant workers of today. Those laboring in fields all around us, nearly unseen and certainly underappreciated, yet absolutely essential to the economy. Invisible, they are the ones most susceptible to deep exploitation by the systems they serve, which don't protect them in turn. But they make an appearance in the first advent and in every manger scene since, visible and central in God's vision of peace. So that's Kelly from the first advent in Palestine. The holy family, right? By our own Victoria Kellyetta. I've kept this because I love this. All right? Uh, There is something that's very prominent in, in this and in every nativity scene, and that's this, the manger, right? Have you ever really focused on this? I've been a Christian since I was 13, and I'll be honest with you, I have never really thought about this until... And this is one of the beauties of digging in and and trying to, you know, suck everything you can out of the scriptures is I have never really paid much attention to the manger. I just thought, well, it's kind of like, you know, in the 30s, or I always think of it as the 30s, when people didn't have furniture for a newborn baby, they pulled out a drawer in the dresser and they set the baby in the dresser. And I thought, well, you know, there was no room for, you know, Mary and Joseph at the inn, which is a bad translation. It wasn't an inn. It was probably a guest room because that's how things work in Palestine then and now. It's a culture of hospitality. So people would have bent over backwards to try to find a place to put them. But because all of these people swarmed Bethlehem for the census, there wasn't room. And so I always thought, okay, sure. So they went to a cave, a, a, a stable, whatever you want to call it. And Jesus was born, uh, probably with some help, right? 
you would think. And then, and then, bam, he was put into the manger because the manger's in the stable. It was just that simple, right? Except it's mentioned over and over again in the text, all right? It's, an inter- it's interesting, right? But there's more to it. An angel announces to the shepherds that they will find a savior in a manger. How did you think when they heard that, how did it land with them, these, these men in the dark, under the thumb of oppression and starvation? I mean, and don't get me wrong, meat was, Bethlehem is the city of bread, but it really was about meat. They're, they're, they were a big producer of meat, so they were important, but that meat was, went all over. You know, some of their meat went the, on the hoof to the temple for sacrifice, right? Unpack that for a little bit, right? That that's where Jesus is born. But so how did that land with them when they heard that? A manger, right? The manger was specific to their occupation, right? Jesus, a savior announced by an angel, celebrated by a heavenly choir, was presented not on a bed of gold encrusted by jewels as I'm sure Caesar and any of his children were, right? The savior of the Roman Empire, right? He was put into a feeding trough made for sheep. It's a stunning contrast. Jesus, the manger. From the very start, Jesus let no one be unseen starting with the shepherds. When you look at Luke's gospel and the account of Jesus' of Jesus's birth, right? Chapters 2, 1 through 20. Verses 1 through 5, you have Seaver's tax and the setting. 6 and 7, you have actually Jesus' birth. But then you have 8 through 18 where the main focus of the text is the shepherds, right? The shepherds. It's... Then you have 19, and that verse where Mary kept all of these things and pondered them. And then it goes back to the shepherds returning to their job and glorifying and praising God. When you add it all up, 12 of the 20 verses in Luke have to do with the shepherds. The shepherds are central to this birth narrative in Luke's gospel. Why? Well, because they represent the unseen in humanity because they represent the unseen, those without power. Jesus came for all, right? From the low to the high, but he sets the marker right then and there. Maybe along with the cross, we should start wearing a small manger around our necks to remind us, right? Maybe a little wood one, or if you you want to bump it up cold, right? I would like to ask the worship team to come up, please, and to finish uh, with the Advent art that we started. Last year, as I said at the beginning, uh, here's the art uh, that we had at the beginning, all right? Uh, And in the different teaching from last year, this was my art from a year ago. This was not planned. I don't even know if... This was a Ukrainian artist that did this. And I have to think that the French artist may have seen his work. Uh, but it, it, it just rocked me when Catherine said, hey, I got this great image and we're going to do that. And I'm like, oh my gosh. 
this was not arranged or planned. But it speaks to us. The far and the near, the long ago and the right now, they speak to each other and to us. May we be like Mary and keep all of this in our hearts and ponder. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for you. And we thank you for uh, the birth of your son. And we thank you for all that it represents, from the low to the high. Father, we ask your blessing on our worship. We ask a blessing on uh, this time. In Jesus' name, amen.